Welcome to episode 166 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we're looking at Season 7, Episode 17, All Things. The original air date was April 9th of the year 2000, the IMDb user score is 7.2 out of 10, and the action primarily takes place in Washington, D.C. For years, Gillian Anderson had been hearing from fans, when are you going to write an episode? When are you going to direct an episode? Starting largely when David Duchovny did so in Season 5. It was also announced he'd be doing so again in Season 7, although we haven't hit that episode just yet. It's not something that she was really interested in, but Chris Carter told her, you know, if you turn in a good script, then yeah, you can direct it. And she came up with an idea for a Scully-centric episode because, you know, when you're not really thinking of how to write the episode and you're working in it, I think it's only natural for the performer to focus on his or her own character and flesh out that backstory because knowing backstories of the characters really helps inform that performance. So that's what this episode is all about. It's very Scully-centric, which is a challenge because that means directing yourself in your directorial debut. That's not always the easiest thing to do. One of the most successful TV actors turned director through his own series is Jonathan Frakes, and if you look at his directorial debut in Star Trek The Next Generation, Riker's on screen for probably 30 seconds or less, specifically so that Frakes can focus on the director job. So in this episode, we start off with a teaser where Scully is getting dressed in Mulder's apartment, while he's in bed and under the sheets. So it strongly implies that their relationship has definitely stepped up a couple notches. After the opening credits, it skips back to, you know, 63 hours earlier, which always rubs me the wrong way. It feels like if you have to jump ahead and then do a flashback, well, then that's a sign that you don't have a strong opening for the episode. So you're trying to use the late episode hook. At least that is my general feeling. So this one starts off with Scully getting a little frustrated and bored with you know, coming into work again on a Saturday night because Mulder's got some ideas to explore crop circles in Europe. She can't follow him to England, though, because she has to finish the autopsy he ordered from someone that he thought drowned in ectoplasm, but actually didn't. She just died in her own regurgitated vomit after drinking way too much of a variety of different beverages. So it does turn out Quite nice in, in a couple of ways. This is a chance to see Mulder and Scully working cases that are in no way paranormal. We saw a glimpse of that not long ago, actually in our last episode, when Scully spent most of it watching for a, a gender-changing character, but turns out it was just a cross-dresser who was trying to rescue women from their lives. This gives us a little bit more of that, where we see more banality, and more mundane content, which actually does help justify, because you're looking at this case, why would the X-Files be allowed to remain open? There's so little conclusive evidence, they're angering so many people. you got to think there's a reason that it's being kept open. With this, it establishes the idea that they're also investigating a lot of things for the possibility of paranormal occurrences that really are just mundane. 
It helps justify Scully's continued skepticism. It helps justify why the department remains open. They would just be the less interesting episodes per se to watch. It wouldn't really fit with the sci-fi fantasy format of the show. But I personally think it would have been nice had we seen more of those throughout the series. Just to help with the, the plausibility of the FBI operating with these things going in secret without the complete support of those above them. But with this episode, Scully is forced to take a look at some of her past life choices when a series of coincidences and mix-ups reveals to her that a former professor who she was very close with, it's strongly implied but not quite stated that they were having an affair. Julian Anderson has said on the record afterwards that it never quite got to that point and that in her mind, the way she wrote the script, they could kind of tell that that's the path they were on. And Scully left the practicing medical profession to go into medical research in the FBI so she wouldn't be responsible for the destruction of the family, even though we learn here that that happened anyway. So in any event, as far as the writer, director, and star is concerned, yes, they were very close, and yes, she was tempted to have the affair with a married man, but that never actually happened. Here, it's so strongly implied that most fans I've discussed this with, we all just assumed that, yes, that happened. So I, I like the idea that they just didn't communicate clearly enough that, no, it didn't actually happen, just so we have that, that view of Scully. Because I personally would have had a tougher time identifying with the character had I known that she was knowingly involved with a married man. Another possibility would have been if they revealed she broke it off after discovering a marriage that she wasn't previously aware of, but that is just inconsistent with the rest of the episode. Now, this episode does a few other things differently. We've got much lighter use of Mark Snow and his score. There are some specific traps by Moby that were brought in instead. And a lot of them are about time and symbolism, because she's talking about all things, they have their time. And what eventually happens in this is that Scully follows up with some of the contacts that Mulder puts her in touch with and looks to alternative medicine instead of Western medicine. And I'm personally with the other doctors and the way they reacted. They're like, what are you talking about? This is not medicine. What are you doing? And questioning a certified doctor who's using these practices. Because a lot of things that are treated as alternative medicine they are pitched and sold to consumers as something that just hasn't been thoroughly explored by the research scientists, or it's being suppressed by Big Pharma, where if you dig into the actual results, sure, you could find a lot of people who say that these alternative or homeopathic especially solutions have healed them. But when you dig into the actual research that's checked into these, they do not seem to be any more effective and sometimes have even been shown to be less effective than any other placebo that's on the market, especially homeopathy. That's not found in any science at all. That was, well, well, we'll get to that later. So this is Gillian Anderson's only writing credit and one of two director credits. The other one is a short film more recently. In terms of the guest performers, Colleen Flynn is making her second appearance on The X-Files. She previously appeared in Detour as Michelle Fazekas. Here she plays Colleen Azar. So we have discussed her 
filmography before, including Pay It Forward, Clear and Present Danger, Project X, and so on. Now, Stacy Hayduck, or Hayduck, I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce H-A-I-D-U-K, makes her one and only appearance on the X-Files in this series. The IMDb says she's also known for playing Patty Williams on The Young and the Restless and Kristen DeMera in Days of Our Lives, as well as Lisa Tabak in Prison Break, Allison in Steel and Lace, and Lana Lang in the Superboy television series. She's got 70 credits to her name, including some video game voiceover work, other work on Heroes and All My Children, Melrose Place, and Kindred the Embraced, as well as a couple episodes of Due South, Sequest Deep Sea Voyager, as Lieutenant Commander Catherine Hitchcock for 23 episodes of that series. So her credits go back to 1987. Now, Stephen Horniak plays Dr. Kopelkin. This is the acting doctor and the one actually assigned to the case of Scully's former professor. He's also known for playing Todd in The Loop, for playing Officer Cliff Beathers in the 1995 Flipper TV series, and more. He's got 23 credits to his name. This is his only X-Files credit. His work ranges from 1991 to 2014. But even his also known for for Caroline in the City as one of his best-known roles, he plays customer number three. So none of them really seem to stand out. Victoria Fairbair plays nurse number one. Her filmography stands out to me because this is the only entry on it. Now, Nicholas Sorovi plays Dr. Daniel Watterson. So that's Scully's former professor. He's got 78 credits to his name, including playing John in Forever Young, Panar McCool in Star Trek Voyager, Orson Burns in Ryan's Hope, and Mike Roy on All My Children for 15 years. He's also known for Deadwood, Dragnet, Crossing Jordan, a number of other series, and he seemed to retire from acting around age 60 in 2004. That's his most recent credit. Cheryl White plays nurse number three. This is only her second credit on the IMDb, although her first four credits were all from the year 2000, so I'm not sure what the filming order would have been, but she appeared in episodes of Family Law, X-Files, True Rights, and Angel in Dear Boy in the same year. The following year, she was in Will and Grace, Judging Amy, that 70s show in The Agency, so she has a number of one-time appearances. Her first recurring role appears to be Kathy Franks in The DA from 2004. She was also Victoria Conlon in The Book of Daniel in a recurring role. And she played Donna O'Dell in two-parter from My Name is Earl. So she's got a lot of roles in shows, but none of them seem to be terribly prominent. Now, Scott Vance makes his only X-Files appearance here. He plays the Faith Healer in one episode. He is best known for playing Detective Number 1 in the Jersey Boys film. Ghost of Steve Jobs in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Detective Kaplan in Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles, and he's playing Lieutenant Bob Sargent in the upcoming Veronica Mars TV miniseries that's continuing that show. So as far as the plot and cast are concerned, it's enjoyable enough. There are a few slow-motion shots that are done for artistic purposes, which I think would have worked a little bit better if they were 
a little more subtle, but it still does a nice job of sort of establishing the relationship Mulder and Scully had and giving us that moment where it feels like, yes, they could actually end up together romantically, which is something I've been fighting for a long time. That was my knee-jerk reaction when this came out was, oh no, please don't go there. I liked the idea of having attractive male and female leads in a close partnership like this that didn't turn into a romantic entanglement modeled on primetime television. And that's where the first few seasons went. So I've kind of softened on that and more accepted it. I still think it would have been better off to keep them separate, but clearly that ship has long, long sailed. Now, in terms of the science of the episode, yeah, back to the faith healing. People have been saying for years that, yes, this works, and Western science just won't accept it. Western science checks everything. I mean, people said chewing birch bark helped with relieving pain. They checked it. It worked. Based on statistics and based on actual concrete evidence. So they analyzed the tree bark, figured out which molecule in it really mattered, and started producing aspirin. These are not people who are going to shy away from something, especially these days. They claim Big Pharma is trying to suppress a lot of this stuff. You can patent molecules in the States. Being the first on anything means a guaranteed paycheck. And frankly, treatments make more money than cures because the treatments do not end nearly as quickly. So when they're not getting involved in the homeopathic stuff, that's because there's no money in it. And the research really does say this does not work. Plus, logically, it doesn't work. We're talking about a field of quote-unquote medicine that was literally founded by a snake oil salesman who was trying to stretch out his stock. So he started selling people bottled water, claiming that, yes, water could remember the molecules that were in it. So, yeah, he says he put some solution in there and then diluted it and diluted it and diluted it, but it was still just as effective, if not more, even though he'd sell you a bottle of water with no active medicinal agreements in it whatsoever. There have been studies done on the homeopathic remedies. One in three, they could not identify even a single molecule of the DNA of the so-called active ingredient in the entire package. So I'm with Scully's former professor on there, where correlation is not causation. And yeah, it's true that he recovered after the faith healer was there, but that's more likely to be coincidence than anything else. That's all we have to say about all things Gillian Anderson's directorial debut. Join us again in two weeks' time when we take a look at Brand X. Thank you for listening.